All right, uh, time for the sermon. The part that has given me the jitters for the last week. <laughs> I know uh, Lisa was trying to uh, say that I gave good sermons. I don't know that I do. If uh, if anything, I think the credit goes to the Holy Spirit. So maybe I just pray real good. <laughs> and uh, in that case, uh, bow your heads with me so I can pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that You be with me, that You use me as Your mouthpiece. God, I ask that You pour the Holy Spirit out upon this congregation and upon this community, that this message, if it's relevant for anyone, that they are able to understand it and comprehend it to its fullest. God, I know that this this message is more for me than anyone else, which is why I was given the opportunity to teach it. So I hope, God, that you inspire me and uh, help drive that, that message home into my own thoughts and actions. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So, in the last few, or I guess in all the sermons that I've given, it seems like more than anything I've been stuck in the first few chapters of Genesis. And since I have a uh, you know full-time job and everything else now, and I have more sermons to give, you're stuck with whatever I'm studying at the time. I don't have time to study for myself and for a sermon. So this 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 sermon, I decided I was going to do something different. And uh, oh wait, I'm going to do the same thing. Let's start in Genesis one. <laughs> so um, we've seen in some of my prior sermons. I was talking about how things progressed through through the first three chapters of Genesis. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see a, a particular character of God. Um, and it's the, the character of God that is presented to Adam and Eve. And uh, we see that God is presenting uh, freedom, right? He's created us. Uh, he's, or he's created Adam and Eve. He's created everything around them. Everything is a gift. They did nothing to earn it or to be a part of it. They didn't get to choose any of it. Um, and then he was given, he gave them the Sabbath. He gave them everything they needed. Uh, in, in two, in verse, uh, chapter two, verse eight, he says, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put who put the man whom he had formed out of the garden, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight and good food, good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So everything is uh, given. Oh, my sermon title, letting, letting God out of the box. Um, and that, that may be a, a kind of a strange sermon title, of course, because God's not in a box. But in a lot of, sometimes even in Christians, uh, but there's a, a lot of people in the world in general have put God into this predefined box. We already believe God is in a certain way. And that may be why they're agnostic. That may be why they're atheist. That may be why um, they're in various denominations even. Um, so one of the things I wanted to do with this sermon is to actually investigate what who God really is and whether or not He's in this box and hopefully empower us to help others let God out of the box. Um, all right, so 
in verse uh, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the, in the day that you shall eat of it you shall surely die. Now God doesn't say, I'm going to kill you. He just says, in the day you eat of it you shall die. So God has presented this uh, this uh world of, of freedom, that you can do all of this, you can do all of these things, all of it's for you, but stay away from this one thing. It's more of a protection type thing. He's giving this uh, as a warning. He's not saying, I'm going to kill you. He's not saying this is what you have to do. He's just warning, you know, stay away from this. You know, Adam and Eve at this point is righteous by faith, which is something that we should all be uh, uh, but Adam and Eve started out in that in that form. They started out in righteous by faith. They had that element of trust and faith in God. They knew what they were supposed to do and what they weren't supposed to do, except for one simple exclusion for protection. And of course, we know that Satan comes along and he twists it, right? And what, what's interesting is that he twists it to the point that Adam and Eve decide that they need to escape from this one limitation that God has given. This one limitation, you can, you, this is what you're not allowed to do. And so they want to escape from that and they end up being slaves to it. They end up being slave to sin. So once they've believed the lies that God, that Satan have, has, uh, has promoted in this point, um, the trust that they had in God was broken, right? And God's purpose now in this point becomes to restore this trust. So what is sin? Sin occurs when trust in God is broken. When we don't trust Him, then it's easy to sin. You know, it's it's becomes something that it's about us instead of what He's providing for us or what He's telling us. In Romans 14.23, it says, For whatever is not from faith is sin. If we don't have that faith, if we don't have that trust in Him, it is of sin. Sin can almost be defined as a form of insanity. Because here we are distrusting a being that's never given us any reason to distrust us. There's no reason for it. You know, I can distrust someone who bullies me in school. Right? I can distrust that person. I can distrust someone who steals my car. I can distrust these people that given me reason to distrust them. But when we distrust God, He hasn't even given us a reason to. So it's, it's, it's a form of insanity. As long as Adam and Eve believed that God had their best interest in mind, uh, they, that they assumed the best in His character, everything was all good. Everything was fine. But we learn that sin is not necessarily behavioral because sin didn't happen until the distrust was created, until the, 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 the beliefs were broken. So sin can't be fixed by works because it's not something we do. That, that's the problem. The, it's a psychological problem. Uh, Adam and Eve had a distortion that occurred in their thoughts of how they perceived God. The biggest problem we have is when we see sin as spilled milk. Because we see this problem. If sin is spilled milk, what do you do? You clean up the milk. 
All done. You know, no more problem. I clean up the milk. The milk's no longer spilled. But sin isn't spilled milk, right? The, the problem is if sin is emotional, relational, ideological, psychological, it's, it's broken trust in God, then it can't be cleaned out, cleaned up. Only by learning to trust God can trust be restored. Sin is not merely an act, it's a condition. It's how we, it's how we perceive God. And to some degree, every time we sin, we all have a degree of that distrust in our, in, in us. Some of us have a lot more than others. Uh, someone who may be an atheist, they have a lot of distrust for God. Some of the times they're even angry at God. They're angry at the wrong God. They're angry at the God that's in the box. It's easy to think of sin in terms of outcome or behavior. You know, just do the right thing. Fix it. Fix it. Just fix it. Just stop doing it. I heard a story one time of a pastor, uh, and this was uh, Pastor Ty Gibson. He was standing and he's preaching and he's, you know, giving his message and the congregation's, you know, uh, enjoying, I guess, the message and stuff. And a man comes walking down the center of the aisle and says, there is a problem that you're not dealing with and there is a solution that you're not delivering. And Ty Gibson is just like, okay, well, the floor is yours. Go ahead. And the man says, the problem is sin and the solution is to stop doing it. Okay, everyone, thanks a lot. See you later. The, the problem's fixed. Everyone can go. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot more to it because it's not behavioral. It's psychological. The corruption that we've incurred throughout the generations is infected how we think. Our experiences and how we've grown up are affecting how we logic things out even. Like we have to break down and we have to work hard at breaking the experiences that the devil has given us to to sculpt our logic and re relearn logic from the Bible itself. We learn God's logic so that things actually start making sense. If sin is a condition, and if we accept it as a condition, then works is not an option. It's not even on the table. We have to go to Christ to have it fixed. As we move through Genesis 3, we see that inevitability of the sin. Once, once Adam and Eve, and I've said this in a prior sermon, once, once Satan took the beliefs of God, the, the true character of God as almost a hard drive in a computer out of Adam and Eve, and they put in what Satan believed God was, and he made them believe that, then this part, that was automatic, right? The problem was the belief in God, whether we should trust him. At that point, God, uh, Adam and Eve were, believe, were on the grounds of survival, right? Because if they believe Satan over God, then they have to sit there and say, okay, the only thing we can do, we have to. You know, God's trying to hold something back from us. God's trying to keep something from us. We have to eat this fruit. It becomes a survival point for them because this up here is broken. As we move forward to Genesis 4, uh, we start seeing the story of Cain and Abel. And now, Cain and Abel is an interesting story, of course, because we see brother killing brother over jealousy. We see that God seems to favor one over the other. We have Abel who brought a, uh, a lamb sacrifice, Cain who brings his first fruits. 
And so we have, we have two different sacrifices here. The two sacrifices are one, a product of man's own doing, right? Cain brought his first fruits. These is what I created. And Abel, he brought a symbolic offering of God's doing, right? He brought what God told him to do. He was obedient. This is what God said he wanted. This is symbolic of God providing the sacrifice that his own sacrifice. Now, you could re, you could re, uh, change these around and basically show the two sacrifices as righteousness by works. This is what I have to do to get, you know, to get done. This is what I believe that I need to be saved. I'm going to bring my first fruits, which is also legalism, which is interesting because a lot of times when I follow God's rules and I'm obedient to His concepts and what He's given me as far as what I should do in my best interests, people call me legalist. But we see through Cain and Abel that Cain is actually the legalist. He's defined, these are the works that make me righteous. These are what I can do to be righteous. The other option is Abel, which is righteousness by faith, and saying, okay, well, this is what God told me to do, and this is what I'm going to do. And of course, there we have obedience instead of legalism. God's not just being picky, right? There's there's a reason for how He created everything and how He wants us to see this symbolism of a lamb, okay? If It's almost as if this is the first beginnings, the first definitions of two different religions. We have the right way to see God and the wrong way to see God. If we were to lump everything down in a very simplistic manner, we have the the Christ and we have the Satan's version of Christ. Um, and we we don't we're not just we're not just making things up or trying to add anything in the Bible. If we actually look at uh, Genesis three and bring it back forward, we see that God came to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve had created their own coverings in, in their shame and in everything that they did. They they created the the fig leaves and they created these you know things that were now wilting and dying, so they'd have to constantly get new leaves, I guess, every day. And God created that God did the first sacrifice. He actually killed an animal to give them skins to cover them. So so God had done the first sacrifice, and this was just a carrying on that we were supposed to do the same thing. Um, so now now we come to Genesis four, six, and seven. And Cain, at this point, has given the wrong sacrifice, and Adam has, or uh, Abel has given the correct address, uh, uh, sacrifice. And four, six, and seven. So, Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door." And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So here we actually start seeing that God is trying to explain to Cain why his actions are wrong or not wrong. Okay, so he's saying that if if you do well, you know everything is accepted. If you don't, sin lies at the door. The what's going to happen in your in your next uh, in the next parts of your life? you're going to see the results 
of the problem between your ears, essentially. If you have the incorrect version of God in your head, your life will will portray this, right? So if your picture of God is a God that demands appeasement, I have to give God something. If I have to, God is demanding this of me, you know, then, and we have to manufacture our own offering, then it, the seeds of anger and hostility f- start forming in our psyche that we actually start hating God, that God is this God that's pointing down at us from the throne and we have to do these things. But in reality, the reverse is true because God through this symbolism, is saying that I'm going to provide my own sacrifice, that I'm going to provide this for you, that your salvation is going to be given to you through me. Now, something very interesting is found in John, John 16, 1-3. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. So here we have in the New Testament, and you can actually see the same situation that had occurred with Cain and Abel. Because Cain kills Abel thinking that he had given God service with his first fruits, and he got angry and he ends up killing Abel over it. And these things you will, they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. Because Cain didn't have the, the true idea, the true character of God in his head. He didn't understand or trust God. History shows that a lot of killing and persecution is, happens throughout the name of the Bible, in the name of the Bible, in the name of Christianity or religion itself. Uh, but a statement, uh, that I, that I came across can be made. Uh, it says, oh, if we know God as He really is, we could never perform acts of violence in His name. You know, there's no, there's no feasible possibility that we could perform that. And that was something interesting that my wife and I were talking about even recently was, um, you know, did God actually have people, um, doing, you know, uh, uh, you know, being in war throughout the Old Testament? And when you look at a lot of these situations, like even David and Goliath, David just flung a rock at Goliath, but it says that God delivered Goliath into David's uh, whatever. So God is the one that finished, that, that made the blow so fatal. You know, God is the one that provided that, that, that David didn't do it of his own, of his own will. Um, what, what's also interesting here is that Cain is essentially at this point saying, or in, in, to some degree, like, I can't kill a lamb, right? I can't kill a lamb. I'm, I'm a, he may even be saying, I'm a vegetarian. I can't kill a lamb because that would be wrong. But then in the, and at the result of it, we see because of his improper, uh, view of God that we, uh, there's revealed sin because he's not able to kill a lamb, but he kills Abel instead. As if that is somehow different or or better almost because he wasn't able to kill a lamb now i've mentioned that there that we we're seeing the first seeds of two different religions right and this concept of persecution so if we turn to luke 11:49 and 51 
Let's just turn there real quick. And the Bible says, Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. So, again, I'm not just making some concept up of these two religions and religious persecution that is going to happen or that started with Cain and Abel. It wasn't just a, a form of jealousy between Cain and Abel, but it actually was the start of those two religions because uh, Jesus himself said that it, it started with Abel, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. So it's this concept of... The, uh, of people who have the correct and trust God, the correct view of God, the correct character of God, and people who don't. And unfortunately, he also says it's going to come upon each generation. Now, we see that throughout, throughout the Bible, we have this cycle over and over of people who had enormous faith in God. We have, um, we have uh, uh, Abel. He believed in God. He fo- he followed God's way. Uh, Seth, um, and we see it again. Uh, well, Adam and Eve before the fall, they believed in God until that was changed. Uh, but we also see it in Noah's time, and Noah believed in God and what God was telling him. In fact. He believed it so much that he built a ship and he preached for 120 years that it was suddenly going to start raining, which, you know, for all, uh, for all intents and purposes that we can see in the Bible, that it had never rained yet, uh, that the mist came up from the ground, there was no rain. And so he's telling them, everyone, that there's going to be a flood. There's going to be a flood so bad that we need to build this ship and everyone needs to get on board. And nobody believes him. 120 years, on and on and on, over and over, everyone's laughing at him, ridiculing him. And he just keeps building this ship. And that takes, I would think, a, a lot of, a lot of faith, a lot of trust in God. Cause sometimes I pray or I ask for something and, you know, I don't think it's a, a selfish request even. It can be something for someone else. But then when it doesn't get answered tomorrow or the next day, I start losing my own patience. And here, Noah went 120 years believing when everyone else on the world was like, you're crazy, you crazy old kook. Get off that gopher wood. We need it for something else. <laughs> it's interesting that God. we see God restoring our faith over and over, that God has these people picked out that, that show us this faith and trust that can be had and should be had in God. Generation after generation, we find people believing and trusting in God's Word. Of course, now we come to Genesis 10, right after the flood. And we have the Tower of Babel. These nations, they all descended 
from Noah. A key person that we see here developing is Nimrod. Nimrod was a mighty man. Uh, he uh, in ten eight Cush begot Nimrod. He begat. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. So Nimrod we know means rebellious or rebel rebel. Um, in verse ten here we read, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So we see that throughout the Bible. Um, this theme of Babel or Babylon. And Babel actually means confusion. So this quickly becomes a kingdom re- representing I or self. Okay, If we look in Daniel 4.30, it says, The king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the pa- honor of my majesty? It's all about me, 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 me. In Genesis 11.4, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole world, earth. So they build this tower right after the flood. And it, and we read here that it becomes a point of self-exaltation and self-preservation. They, they're not trusting in God. They're just, it's all about me. In fact, what's interesting here, where it says, Let us make a name for ourselves, in the King James Version, it kind of says it a little bit differently. It says, let us make us a name for ourselves, which is a strange way, strange way to speak, but it shows how self-involved they were. Let us make us a name for us. Us, 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 us. It's me, me, me. Now, in Genesis eleven six and 7, And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there, and there confuse their language, and they may not understand, that they may not understand one another's speech. So now if we look at this with the eyes of Satan, uh, he could say, um, you know, he could say that, uh, see, See, God's jealous of you. You know, you are like God's. You know, you, you ate from the tree and you are like God's. You can do anything you want. You can accomplish anything. And so God's going to come down and He's going to confound the language. And God wants to withhold things from you. That's the view that Satan has, right? Now, if we just jump far, just one chapter forward, Genesis 12 2, uh, He's telling Abraham here, or Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. So we see a big difference here because now, now God's actually saying, well, this person, you can be a blessing, or you will be blessed. And we start seeing this, we're seeing this difference of God in scripture and the God that Satan's painted, okay? Um, the, the main difference, the main difference here is that God doesn't want us to just be great on the earth for our own for our own uh, uh, self-exaltation or for, for our own self-preservation. He wants us to be great in the context of being a blessing to others, rather than not make a main name for yourself. Right? You have to. You know, Abram was given a blessing to be a blessing. He was more like instead of a bucket, he was more like a pipe that goes somewhere else. Right? It comes in one end and goes out the other. 
So we saw how doing selfish things uh, for Cain resulted in, uh, revealed in the actions of Cain, and uh, his righteousness uh, by works didn't have a righteous result, right? So it's important to realize here uh, that in the Bible, uh, words have a huge n- amount of significance. Uh, we see Nimrod means re- rebel or rebellion. Babel means confusion. And the immediate context at this point is the confusion of the language. Like he, you know, we have the, uh, uh, the confusion that God brought down to everyone. But later we see in Revelation, Babylon is a confusion of the character of God. It's religious and it's ideolo- ideological. A uh, a recent comment I saw, I can't remember where I found this, um, but it said, all Scripture is a commentary on Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And that was that's one of the main reasons I think that I keep going back to those initial chapters is because what we saw there from God, from uh, uh, Adam and Eve having faith and then having that twisted corruption of their of God's character and then the the inevitability of sin is repeated over and over and over that we have this incorrect view of God it's the same thing throughout the entire bible just repetition and expansion repetition and expansion so far we've seen that people rebelling assumes one point one main key point and that is that God is the kind of God that we even need to rebel rebel against in the first place which is not true it, it, it basically tells us that the God with which they are trying to rebel against is a God that doesn't even exist. We don't, I see people all the time with, uh, strong Christian beliefs that are scared of the God in the Old Testament. And it's the same God. Yeah, I mean, it's just, but, but they're believing in a God at that point that doesn't exist. That's not the God that is in the scripture. That's not even portrayed here. They're rebelling against a picture that Satan has painted, that Satan himself uh, is pretending to be God, which will continue right up until the end times. With that backdrop, we finally get to Genesis 12. Now, Genesis 12, of course, is Abram and him being called out. God God is calling him out of the situation that he's in, uh, this mess, essentially. This uh, He's actually from uh, Babel. He's actually from uh, Ur of Chaldeans. We see that uh, this chaos that he's being called from is not just geological. It's it's not just a location like we're going to take you over here and we're going to put you over here because the trees are better over here. He's calling them out because it's emotional, it's psychological, it's ideological that there are problems where he's at. We start seeing the embryo, the first beginning seed of what we would call the church. The word for church is ecclesia, which means the called out ones. The church is called out of religious confusion and rebellion against a God that doesn't even exist. We can jump back here to Genesis 11, 27 and 29, right there at the end. And it says, uh, this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Norah, and Haran. Haran begat Lot. So we see where they're from. And Haran died before his father Terah in, the, in his native land in Ur of Chaldeans. 
which is all a part of that same nation that was formed uh, from Babel, Babel, Babylon. Now, oh, I have that on the screen. So now we see God's instructions in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How many families? All of the families shall be blessed. But it's critical we realize to the extent of what Abram was called out from. All right, we we say, well, see, he was called out of Ur, which you know was a part of that. Um, but if we look forward in the New Testament, jo- or, yeah, no, not even the New Testament, Joshua twenty four two, and Joshua said to his people, "Thus says the Lord of God of Israel: Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nor." dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. So it's critical that that point is made that they weren't just, you know, just being selfish or anything, but they served other gods. They served this misconception of what God was, what what the God's character was. God essentially at this point is liberating him from this false picture of God. God is basically saying that Abraham I'm going to call you out of Babylon, Babylon, and I'm going to bring you here, and now I'm going to get Babylon out of you. And because that's what we all need, right? We've all been called out of the world, but we all still have part of the world in us, and we all that's the part of the cleansing that we're going through. We see this picture of God is much different. All families on the earth shall be blessed. It's it's funny to me because when we get from Genesis 1, and here, let me try to find Genesis 1 here. That's just the chapter index. Um, So here's Genesis 1 to Genesis 12. And we have this covering, you know, it's just a handful of pages. This is covering basically 1,500 to 2,000 years, give or take. And then we have Genesis 12 through Genesis 50, which is 39 chapters, the majority of this book. And that's covering 200 years. So as soon as we're, so as soon as we get to Genesis 12, Moses is putting on the brakes. He's racing to the point. He's like, oh yeah, Adam and Eve, flood, Babel, yeah, all that. And then Abraham. Abraham was the point. Abraham becomes uh, the the answer to the sin in Adam. The call of Abraham is the, the beginning of the answer to the sin of Adam. For the rest of Scripture, Abraham becomes the normative figure on how we should relate to God. A, a series of counters basically revolutionizes how we view God from Abraham forward, and that's why it slows down so much. We are left living in Abraham's wake. He is the, he, he is, uh, set the standard of relating to God. Moses was very intentional. He was getting to the point. The God of scripture is evangelistic. He loves people. He's pursuing people. And we see so many people that see him in a different light. They see him 
as the God that's in the box that is commanding and obeying you must do this. But he's chasing people. He's chasing us. He's forging a vehicle in Abraham through which the whole world will be saved. God, we could say here, is being is inclusive rather than exclusive. Going through the sermon last night, and I'm just mulling it over, and I'm flipping through a book, and I stop on a page, and it's it's uh, Bible readings for the home. It's a really good book. And it asked an important question that I hadn't thought about while I was putting this together. And I think the reason it all happened that way, again, I'm not even paying attention to what's on the pages of the book. I'm just thinking. And so I guess the Holy Spirit wanted this part in, but it said, what returns do we expect from trusting God? And the answer is found in Ephesians 1.13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we see here, trust and belief become synonymous. To trust in Christ Christ is to believe fully in what He's telling us, what He wants us to accomplish in being obeying. You know, we can trust God's going to save us. But if we believe that, and if we believe God's character, and we believe how He uh, cares for us, how He loves us, then we obey Him. We follow Him in His steps. And it's not, it's not until after this that we both trust and believe that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In closing, I just want to remind you that God in Scripture is a very different God from the one that the devil plants. He's not this God that stands on a throne and He points down at us and tells us what we should or shouldn't be doing or threatens us with um, with you know our lives or anything else. He's the kind of God that, that comes down on our level, right? He comes down to us. And he sent His Son to be among us. He walked among us. And even now, He's the kind of God that beckons and whispers. He's not up here doing this. He's down here saying, come to me. You know, He's whispering to us. He's beckoning us. He's trying to attract us to Him. He's telling us, I have a better way. In Psalms 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Just take a taste. You know, it's funny because I left the church and I came back full circle and ended up back in a, a church, different church. You know, I was in one church and came back to a different church uh, when my priorities changed. Having a family, having a son, you know, and then I started realizing it. You know, and, and um, what I realized was is that God was always there, right? It's, you know, I'm walking along and I'm like, I'm looking for things. I'm looking for things that are out there and looking for them in the world and trying to find happiness and, and fulfillment and all these things. And the whole time... You know, I'm looking for these things. And and finally, I turn around and I say, look, I found God. The whole time He was there doing this. But it wasn't until I finally slowed down, stopped, turned around and said, oh, there you are. And then I'm proclaiming I found Him. But the whole time, God's was there for me. God was there beckoning me. What... What allowed me to find him was when I stopped running from him. 
I just have to trust Him. I had to stop making the choice that my way was better than His way. So that's where I get the uh, Scripture reading from. Those taking our new discipleship class should find this passage familiar. And maybe we can already say from memory, maybe not. But uh, if you want to join the uh, discipleship class and start working on uh, Bible memory, come see me so I can make sure that I have enough materials printed for everyone. But it's Jeremiah 31, 3. This is our first memorization that we're supposed to be doing for uh, Wednesday. So if anybody wants to join us, you might make note of this and try working on it. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Amen. So, if you'll bow your heads with me. I'm going to uh, get on my knees. You can join me if you wish. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for always being there for us, for drawing us to you. God, I, I claim the promise of First John 1 9, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to cleanse us, to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And God, we see that that unrighteousness is a distrust for you, a misinterpretation of your character. That once we understand that, once we understand your true character, once we let you out of that box and we start seeing you for what you really are, it's so easy. It's so easy to love you back. And we may never be able to love you as much as you love us. But God, we ask that you continue to work in our lives, that you continue to show us your character and your plan, and you encourage us with the Holy Spirit and show us how we can encourage others to see your true character, that we can help others in our community around us to let you out of the box. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. For our final hymn, we have uh, 359.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this blessed Sabbath day that you are able to revital us with rest in you. God, we, we look forward, so look forward to these days where we are able to just put all our cares and burdens onto you, that we're able to just rest in your presence and enjoy your word. God, we ask that you continue to look after us this coming week. We ask that you look after those among us that are missing. We ask that you look after the community around us, that you may infuse them with the Holy Spirit, that we may reach them and they may know your loving kindness. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. We are dismissed.